So good afternoon and welcome to Advance Through Growth, career track session for the California Council of the Blind. Uh, I want to take care of a few housekeeping rule uh, items first. This is a session that's going to be streamed live on the ACB radio. So welcome to all those folks in our global um, connection with ACB radio. Welcome. We also will be having an interactive uh, activity-based program. And so we will have individuals providing self-reflection. So hopefully you brought something to take notes on of your own device and choosing, as well as the headphones uh, to use with those devices so that uh, you may reflect uh, privately. We also will be having some pair share. So you'll be uh, partnering with somebody else and then uh, sharing with each other. If you're listening to the stream, please feel free to uh, ask somebody who's around to join you in the session so that you may have a partner. Or at the times that we're having the pair share, please feel free to self-reflect and record some of your thoughts so that you may share that in the future with another individual as well. We, uh, we will be um, taking questions uh, throughout the program. We, it will be kind of separated into seven segments. At the end of each segment, we'll ask if there's any questions uh, for discussion and then answer at that time. We also have a panel at the end of the program in which we'll be taking questions and answers from uh, individuals. So I'd like to begin by asking uh, for some folks to to feel an orange and to share for me what your thoughts are in regards to the orange. And so I'm going to come over here to this table and ask for you to feel the orange and if you wouldn't mind sharing your thoughts regarding the orange. Do you want to know what I feel? Your first impression. impression. Okay. Well, it feels like a, a ball that has uh, a lot of uh, dimples in it, and the surface is uh, smooth, but it, it has uh, texture to it. Okay, wonderful. Thank you. And what about over here? What's your uh, thought regarding the orange? Um, <laughs> um, my first impression, it's uh, definitely round, and it has some weight to it. And so we're going to go over to another table over here and ask, what is your thought regarding the orange? Yeah, it's fine. It's round, and it's almost totally round. And it's got a, where a stem would have come out, a little bump there, a little green navel. And it's kind of porous, and it does have some heft. And it smells good. <laughs> that, was, that was just me. <laughs> Wonderful. As you can see, each individual had a different impression of the orange. The, uh, there was the feeling that the orange was round. There was some texture to it. There were some dimples. But yet there was also some differences that individuals perceived in regards to the orange. 
As we think about the individuals that we meet on a day-to-day basis and our first impression of those individuals, it's much like examining an orange for the first time. There's three ways we can perceive an orange. How others view the orange, and so how you viewed the orange today. The self-view. If we were to ask the orange, what do you view, how do you view yourself? The orange may say, I'm juicy, I'm orange, I have a nice round texture. May give us some different uh, impressions than what we said ourselves. And then there's the way that you actually are. So today, as we go through this program, we'd like for you to think about who you are, how you are perceived by others, how you perceive yourself, and, actu- and the actuality of how you are, uh, who you are. And sometimes that is an exciting opportunity, and sometimes it's a growth opportunity. And we want you to view it as growth opportunity today as well. The uh, so, to introduce ourselves, my name is Kathy Schmidt Whitaker, and I am co facilitating this uh, session today uh, with Lisa Savoli. And we will both introduce ourselves briefly to you. We will then talk about the purpose of the workshop. We will then take the word growth and divide that into six segments and look at how we can develop and grow utilizing our perspectives and our experiences. And then we'll have a panel discussion at the end of the program as well. I have been a member of the California Council of the Blind since I was a student, actually 25 years ago. And I've been able to grow as an individual. I've had some different types of leadership opportunities within the council, as well as within my community and within my career profession within higher education. I've experienced, uh, had the opportunity to uh, supervise other individuals in several different settings uh, with a variety of different types of uh, individuals in those different organizations. So I'm coming to you and sharing some ideas and thoughts what I would look for, what I look for when hiring individuals, as well as areas for consideration as you consider your career growth and advancement as well. And I'm going to turn over to Vita to introduce herself. Hi, my name is Vita Zavoli. I have been in the IT field, information technology, for probably a long time, uh, over 30 years, and um, it's hard to say that in a way. Um, I have done numerous types of jobs, um, help desk and training, um, management, um, numer- different types of jobs, which is growth in itself when you move from one type of career to another. And then I've been part of CCB for about maybe eight years. And in that, I've done quite a bit of growth. Um, I am a treasurer for four affiliates currently and the chair of the technology operations group, technical operations group. And uh, did you want me to say Okay. So the purpose of this workshop today is to 
talk about what are those different things we want to think about when we're already in a career and seeking the opportunity for growth, either career advancement, a career change, taking on additional responsibilities, taking on a leadership role within a community organization. Oftentimes, within the blindness community, we speak about employment and career growth from the perspective of finding a job, the, fir the first job seeker um, experience. And we want to take it to the next level and talk about once you're, you have employment, once you have some of those skills and experiences, what is needed in order to advance, to have some growth and development at the higher level of, the, of an organization. So today's focus is, that, is uh, related to that. While we believe everybody um, invites invite everybody to participate today, and I believe that everybody will be able to take away at least one thing you learn uh, from this experience, as I said, some of our activities are focused more for individuals that are considering kind of that next level of opportunity for them. And I believe this is also an important area for us within the disability community to, to talk more about, to have more um, information and resources and seminars related to, because we're not talking about that as much as we should be given uh, how much we talk about employment in general and the need for employment for individuals with disabilities and the community for our uh, society to continue to grow and advance. The key to career success is to find what's meaningful to you. What is it that pa provides you passion? What do you want to accomplish and contribute? to society, to your organization, to the community that you're within. By thinking about what you're passionate about, what your interests are, and where you feel you can make a connection and a contribution can be helpful in providing the guidance. Am I in the right framework or the right career path? Or do I want to change my career path and try something new and different? They say the average college graduate will change their career path, their discipline, five to seven times during the lifetime. That might sound a little scary, but the reality is that we're evolving, and technology is enabling us to really expand and grow beyond where we thought we could be before. And with that comes the opportunity to look at new opportunities and career paths. So knowing yourself and being able to respond to the changing trends in our environment, as well as being able to identify your key skills and resources, will help you be able to identify what your next step is. Today, the development of stealth is very important, personally and professionally. And so we're going to focus on the word growth. Growth has uh, opportunity to look at, to, as an acronym, looking at your goals. Look at the re what's realistic. We're going to be also looking at the opportunities and talking about a wisdom, talents, 
and honors or recognizability. I'd like for you to take a minute and for you to just individually write down what, it is, what two questions or thoughts you had coming into this program today. So take one minute to write down your thoughts about one or two questions or things that you wanted to learn more about today. We're going to look to respond to these, hopefully, during the program. Uh, and if we do not uh, respond and address one of your ideas and thoughts during the program, then please feel free to ask during the panel discussion. We're going to have time for questions and answers. At this time, we're going to begin by looking at goals. And I'm going to turn it over to Vita to uh, lead us in this segment. Hi. The first thing we're going to discuss under goals is performance on the job. Initiative. Um, anytime you're looking to advance or even a lateral move, you want to set goals for yourself, and that could be weekly goals, it could be monthly goals, but it always helps to write them down have those steps written down for yourself. This is my goal. And um, and then you want to do certain activities that lead you toward those goals. For example, maybe share the goals that you've written down for yourself with a coworker and even with a supervisor if that's if you have that sort of relationship be willing to learn something new on your job new software um, something new about a project research additional information people look at these additional things that you do beyond your job responsibilities and this this helps you to grow not only for yourself but you also you help the company grow and you are recognized for these things that you do you may also want to involve yourself in some professional development um, training um, job skills you know upgrading your job skills self-improvement, public speaking, writing skills, more computer skills, all of those things that are going to lead you toward the next step. Get connected with networks in your field. That's always helpful. For example, meetup groups. If you're familiar with meetup online, there are numerous groups for anything you can imagine out there. Um, get connected with affiliate, uh, I'm sorry, affinity groups in your organization. Affinity groups are like-minded co-workers who focus on issues that, um, that interest you. For example, uh, where I work, we have 
a women's women in technology group. Um, we you, even 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 things that aren't necessarily related to um, exactly what you do, but something fun that you enjoy doing. A lot of organizations even might have a walking group. Um, involve yourself. The more you're out there, the more people see you, the more that they see you join, they know that you're interested in moving forward. Um, listservs, of course, those are always good to join. Uh, there are, you know, obviously many, many listservs in your own fields. And Um, some, sometimes when you join these groups, the, it may be difficult because you, as someone with a disability, may have difficulty communicating or explaining about your disability. How many times do we need to do that, right? But again, if you take the time to do that, it, you are educating someone else. And then that person remembers who you are and when they speak to other coworkers or they speak to a supervisor, they might say, oh, I know so-and-so who has good technology skills who might really be interested in moving forward or moving toward um, this job. It's very important to follow through on your goals for you personally and also for the people around you who you've shared those goals with. It's obviously people just need to know that you're serious. And the only way for them to determine that is to see that you do what you say you're going to do. Just for a minute, let's do a pair and share. Uh, so pair up with someone. If, you, if you're an odd one out, like you're number five, um, one of us will pair up with you and talk about what networking function you will participate in. What do you want to try? Okay, just take a few minutes to do that. Does anybody need a partner? Oh, no, not network function. It's this, what networking will you do? Um, what type of function will you participate in to help you grow? Yeah, you know, on the job. Or, I mean, we're specific. Yeah, in the workplace. Uh -huh. What do you want to try on your job? What would you like to join, you know, that, um, that you think will help you grow? Not necessarily a network. <laughs> We're talking about networking, right? So what do you want to join? Is there, um, is there a new program you want to try? Is there a new project you'd like to learn more about? Is there um, particular professional groups that you'd like to join? Is there an affinity group you'd like to join? Something that will push you forward toward your development goals.
Okay, now maybe this mic will work. Um, the group is an imperative um, group discussing um, how they want to network and um, be able to grow on their jobs. And this might mean um, joining a committee. Um, for me, that would be joining a committee, uh, outreach committee, or education committee, or safety committee, something that would help me reach further areas of our center and out past that. I, I work for the Long Beach VA. I hear a lot of quiet, so that and, means we're um, getting close to being done. We're looking for referrals to our. I know, right? I know it's pretty small. To our VIST coordinators, and um, so I'm on the outreach committee, and we help stimulate ways that we can get those connections to our VIST coordinators so that blinded veterans okay. can come back to the Blind Center and l get the opportunity to learn. Looks like we're back with this particular pairing, and let's see what's next. This one item that you've already shared, with this one item you've already shared, you have already added to your toolbox to move forward. So make this a goal for yourself. Give yourself a time frame. That doesn't mean you beat yourself up if it's not done in the time frame you decided on, but it, it, it's giving you a place to go. I'm going to turn it over to Kathy. So hopefully from that experience, you have an idea of what you want to gain from another networking opportunity. As Vita shared, it's important to be able to develop rapport and relationships with others. That's really how we get to know one another, identify the and to build credibility. And one of the things that we're talking about when, talk, when looking at the opportunity for career advancement is having that credibility with others, being able to share, uh, communicate, function, interact with a variety of different people in a variety of different settings and to have individuals know you and your personality is really an asset when it comes to being considered for other opportunities whether it's within your organization or in an, within another organization based upon the networking that you've done you can learn about new opportunities that are available, different types of jobs in different organizations through the networking that you're able to do as well. As Vita shared, uh, the, one of the areas for growth is to look at technology. And technology is important because it is, we're so dependent on it in our lives, aren't we? How many of you have a smartphone and a computer? And much, much of our communication nowadays is done through technology. So it's really important as individuals who are blind and low vision that we also develop our technology skills, not only learning the technology, but also learning our system technology. To give you an idea of, of, of what I'm talking about, 
and the access technology ha provides us, but also the barriers that technology presents to us as individuals with disabilities. There was a survey that was conducted through the Department of Labor through a program, new program called PEAT, or it stands for the Partnership on Employment and Accessible Technology. Through a survey that was conducted in 2015, 82% of individuals with disabilities had, had participated in a, in a job search process that required technology. 82% of people. And that was within the last three years. 46% of those individuals found it difficult to, to utilize the system and the technology in that job search process. And so the application may have been, online application may have been difficult to complete. The assistive working with assistive technology and knowing all the keystrokes to navigate through the online application may not have been as strong. Whatever it was, 46% of people who had utilized technology as part of their job search process said they had some difficulty with it in the survey. And 67% of individuals who have applied for uh, jobs within the last three years, according to the survey, also uh, had participated in a pre-employment recruitment um, a process that was online as well. So there could have been some interaction by email your uh, resume and references to this address, or it could be an online application, or it could be an extended supplemental uh, questionnaire that was to be completed and submitted back. A, a, a variety of different types of technology is being used throughout the recruitment process now. And so it's really important for us to understand and be able to utilize our technology effectively, but then also to be able to advocate for ourselves when the technology is, we're proficient in technology, but we're having difficulty because of the accessibility to the online application. And there is, you know, the truth is there are some applications and online experiences that are not as accessible as we'd like them to be. In the, when we're in the recruitment process or we're considering recruitment, one of the things for us to be aware is how we present ourselves uh, when we run into those barriers. And to be able to say, I've been able to do X, Y, and Z. These are my strong technical skills. The, this is what I'm able to do. This is what I'm not able to do. And I think it might have to do with X in regards to the accessibility of the application. Um, and is that something that can be looked at? So you're beginning to develop an impression at that point in that recruitment process with a potential employer. And so we want, you want to put your best foot forward, but you also want to be able to share your, uh, your assertiveness skills, your strengths, your confidence, and what your capabilities are uh, to a potential employer. Social media 
presence is also another thing that's very crucial in the employment process. It's important to be able to understand and to utilize the social media uh, platforms that are out there. The LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, um, a variety of different ones are uh, out there and evolving and developing every day. Empl recruiters are beginning to utilize these social media um, avenues a lot more uh, in their process. It's important to remember that what, how you present yourself on social media is just as critical as you present yourself over the phone or in person. So that you, because you're developing a presence. And not only that, when it comes to social media and on the web and blogs, you're actually developing an a archive or a history of yourself. And when employers go to uh, consider somebody for a promotion or they uh, are interested in considering somebody to come to you know, a new organization, not only are they going to be looking at your resume, they're doing a Google search. And they're seeing who you are and what presence you have within the social, within the social media community. So if you haven't done it already, I encourage you to do a Google search with your own name and see what comes up. It may surprise you. <laughs> so you want to be careful what you post on social media. I always say that don't post anything that your grandma wouldn't, you wouldn't want your grandma to see. Right? Because you, you, sometimes you're like, mm, I don't know if I really want to share that with grandma. If you're going to have that feeling, don't do it on social media or, any, or where, anywhere else on the web because it may come back five, ten years down the line and an employer may see it and ask you about it. You never know. I have known actually individuals who have been let go of positions because of what they posted on social media. They have posted inappropriate things. They have said derogatory uh, things of others. Or they have released sensitive or confidential information. I encourage you to be very careful and think through what you do before you do it. Fifty percent of individuals who participated in the PEAT survey in 2015 that I was referencing before actually had done something related to their job recruitment utilizing social media. Half the people that were, go were looking at the recruitment process had utilized social media as, part as one form of connecting and networking with employers. Ten years ago, that was unheard of. Today, it's a reality, and it's only going to be growing more and more as we go forward. So any questions about setting goals, uh, developing stronger technology skills, uh, being uh, mindful of the networking opportunities that are available for you before we move to the next section? Please speak up if you have any questions. Okay, can we bring a mic to you? Since we're streaming the session, we would like for uh, folks to use a mic so that everybody um, are, can hear and understand. Okay, my question is about setting goals. Um, what if you 
you're in a job that basically you want to be done. Um, you fulfill that that goal, that purpose that you had uh, when you first started, and now you're stuck. You want you want to do something else, but how do you start those goals? And uh, especially you know when you're and you're just uh, you just don't know how to start. So start finding a new. Uh, the next level, the next, the next le- opportunity. Yes. Okay. Well, the first thing to say is that when you have a job, it's much easier to find the next job. So even though you feel you have outgrown your current, you know, you may have outgrown your current position, begin to look around. Is there something in your current, in your current environment, your current work setting, in which you would like to do? Is there something that a new skill you want to learn? Is there a new, another position that you might be interested in? If there is, then you want to begin learning some of those aspects of those, that position or that responsibility and to be able to say, go to your, your uh, current boss and say, you know, I really, I, I'm enjoying what I'm doing. I've learned what I can. I, I have developed these skills. I want to grow more. And I've begun to learn X. You know, so, for example, I've taken up and begun to learn more about Excel and budgeting. And I see this opportunity to um, the, this position over here is, is opening up. And I'd really like to be considered for this budget analyst position, for example. And that way you're demonstrating I'm developing my own skills. I'm taking the initiative to, to develop things on my own. I'm wanting to see, uh, consider, be considered for something that is uh, a little bit um, beyond me, but I know I'm capable of doing it. Are there any, is there anything that you can tell me that I can do, uh, I can learn in order to be more uh, qualified for that position? Is there anything that you can share um, that would help me be able to be considered for that type of position? And you're, you know, so your current employer may be able to share with you some ideas. Or the, the supervisor of that area that you want to work in, you could go and uh, conduct what's called a job uh, informational interview. I know I'm in my current position. I'm really interested in moving over to this other type of area. Can you share with me What are the key aspects of this job? What are the skills that you look for in this job? What are the main points? And if you have those, great. If you don't, then start developing those individually. If you're wanting to move outside of the organization that you're working within, then you would want to begin to to look at what are the qualifications of the types of positions that you're interested in. And do I have those skills and qualifications? If I don't, how can I develop them? What can I do? Can I take a class after work? Can I develop a networking, you know, join a networking group and develop those skills? Do I need to strengthen a particular area that I'm already doing? Do I need to take on, ask if I can take on a project that's not related to my current position? that the organization needs, then if I volunteer to take that above and beyond and take on that project, how will, will that look good on my resume and help me with this other position that I'm looking at? 
So it has to do with looking at what are those um, areas. Now, if you're not sure what you want to do in your next <laughs> career move, and for some people that is the case, <laughs> and that, so it makes it much more challenging uh, for the sh examples that I've shared already, then I think it's taking a step back and taking some maybe uh, participating in a career exploration type of activity at your community college, um, career center, or a career class, or online yourself. You can actually go online. You could take uh, a course, or I'm sorry, complete a, an assessment such as the Strengths Finder, in which you will be asked different types of questions about yourself, and then it will share what your, what your areas of strengths are. And that might give you some ideas of the types of positions that you might be more inclined to, um, to pursue. And then you could research those more to see if you like them. There's also another uh, component called job shadowing, or uh, in addition to the informational interviewing. So if, you, if there's a position that you might think that you might want to advance to, conduct you know, job shadow. Can I follow you around for four hours, for half a day? and see what it is that you do and what, what it really is like. And that way you'll have a better understanding that can help assess some of your strengths and uh, interests as well. So I hope that helped. Yes, it did. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Were there any other questions before we move on? As I mentioned, that we want to be realistic about... Um, who we are and what it is that we're interested in pursuing. One of the areas that is really uh, important and sometimes we think of and sometimes we're a little lax on, and that's etiquette. Etiquette ha plays a large part in how we're perceived. It's important to recognize and remember, yeah, we started off with the orange, and we had different, uh, different impressions about that orange that I passed around and uh, several of you felt. The orange had some dimples. Now, we may, we may feel that dimples are good, and some people may feel that dimples are maybe not so good. We develop some, uh, our impressions based upon what, how the, what we feel and within the you know, sighted world, what people see. So it's important that we, uh, as individuals who are blind and low vision, remember uh, some of the etiquette in terms of dress. It's important that we, uh, when we're in an organization and we're, we're wanting to present ourselves uh, well, that we dress professionally. That um, if we're out in the community and we know that we'll see individuals that we may know that we don't have, you know, the, the cool torn jeans and, you know, the tank top on and all of that, those are nice casual clothes. But if there's environments where we, we feel that it's going to be reflective upon us who we are as individuals and within our opportunity for professional growth, we want to uh, keep that in mind in terms of identifying what it is that we're interested in wearing and clothing. There are some good um, indicators out there and some good uh, websites. Um, Lynn McCune has a good website having to do with professional dress and has had previous segments uh, over the years as part of um, 
the um, ACB radio as well, connection to the, uh, the Braille Forum, and really has talked about kind of that professional dress and the seasons that are available as well. We also want to be mindful in terms of our use of our assistive technology. When we're using assistive technology, sometimes it's cumbersome. We feel that uh, it really provides access to us for us, and it does. We also, at times, need to understand that not everybody else wants to experience our assistive technology as well. And so the use of, for example, headphones when using a screen reader is important, or using our iPhone and the voiceover. Uh, one, it's, we don't, remember, we don't know who's around us, so we don't necessarily want everybody to know our business and what the voiceover is saying, um, but we also want, uh, don't want to um, pr uh, have the, our, the space also interrupted for others who may, um, may want to um, be more professional in their behavior as well. Nowadays, in cafes and things, there are signs that say that for people in general, um, please don't use your cell phone. Because how many times have you been, gone into a cafe or something and somebody's on their cell phone talking? Or gone into the restroom and somebody's on the cell phone talking? We as a society have begun to think that that's okay. But if we take a step back and ask from a perspective of professionalism, I think the etiquette... Um, you know, the, the folks that do mismanners probably would say, no, that that isn't uh, appropriate etiquette for anyone with or without a disability. So it's important to remember that. And when using a cell phone, if, for example, we're in a meeting room and, it, and the phone rings, I don't know about you, but I've been in many, many situations, in, you know, on, in work and in conferences um, throughout where people will, be, will answer the phone in the meeting as somebody else is talking. And it's like, how rude is that? How disrespectful for the person that is speaking or presenting or facilitating that meeting in general. And that, and, and that is, you know, just in general as a society um, that we need to remember some of these um, etiquette rules that apply for us. Um, I would also caution you in terms of your friends at work. Friends at work are great, and it helps us have more and a more enjoyable experience at work, uh, to develop rapport and relationship, good team building. But also remember, they're work colleagues. They're not the, your best friend. You, want, you also want to remember that anything you say to a friend at work may get back to others. And so gossiping at work is not something that you want to be known for, especially if you want to be considered for career advancement. You do not want to, uh, you want to have a reputation of an, an, as an individual who is uh, friendly and has developed positive relationships with people and doesn't gossip. And that's important because as you move up in the work setting, one of the things that you'll be pulled into are more confidential uh, meetings and conversations where they really need to trust that you'll be sensitive and confidential regarding some, um, some of the different topics that are discussed. 
an idea might be flown by you. And they don't want that to be shared with anybody else because it may not come to fruition. Or there may be a situation with somebody else and they want some feedback, but they also want to make sure that it's, you know, that it's just, it's kept confidential. And by ha being able to build that trust and confidence and having your boss understand that you are trustworthy and sensitive to uh, confidential experiences, your boss is going to think of you for a possible career advancement uh, over somebody else who might be more likely to gossip. Mm. From the email standpoint, you have company email. Should be for company time and work, right? And email is tracked. Even if, even if they haven't said it, everything on the computer and all the email can be tracked and it can be looked at. It may not be currently, but it can be. And so I'd encourage you to really think about and understand what it is that you're putting in email as well. So at this time, we want to view a video having to do with uh, etiquette in the work environment. To enter this table, press control, option, shift, down arrow. To stop interacting with this scroll area, press control, option, shift, up arrow. DOL video.mp4. DOL video is selected edit text. That is the person running the uh, video computer. We're hearing voiceover come through. ABISE window list view table. DOL video.mp4 MPEG4 movie. April 5th, 2016, 10, yes. 20 p.m. 32.2 mega DOL video. As uh, we're working on the technology, uh, it was also mentioned, a good point was mentioned, that we also need to remember that even if we write an email message e. and we delete it, it may, it, it is never truly deleted. It could be retrieved easily. Um, so remember that, that anything you store on your computer can be retrieved even after you've deleted it. Muting. Okay, so now I think we're ready to review the video. ABISE window list view table. DOL video.mp4 MPEG4 movie. April 5th, 2016, 10, 20 p.m. 32.2 megabytes. MPEG4 movie. Selected. DOL video.mp4. Voice over off. As you may have heard, that part of this link is for, with the Department of Labor. The Department of Labor has a new website out that they just launched about two weeks ago. The website is called Talent Works for Individuals with Disabilities. The, uh, the site for employers is called PEAT, or the Partnership on Employment and Accessible Technology. I would encourage you to consider looking at the Talent Works website so that you can see what some of those areas are that may be of interest for you to strengthen your knowledge and understanding about the recruitment process as well. Especially if you've been in a job for a number of years and you are beginning to look for a new job and it's been a while. It is something that I would everybody needs, experience, you know, needs to develop those skills again and the experience. I know that I did when I uh, was in a position for a couple of years and I was looking to make a change. I actually uh, went on, uh, develop, 
went through the process of reintroducing myself to kind of what, how to do the interview process, practicing ahead of time, you know, and then participating in the interview. Because we, we get rusty if we don't practice as often. We are still waiting for the are we still working on the video? video okay. to be able okay. to be accessed. Since we're still working on the video, I'd like for you to take a moment and to pair up with somebody else and to talk about what are um, two takeaways that you have thus far from the, you know, from the discussion about etiquette and consideration of what it is that, that you goes well, yeah, that you think you're doing well, or would, uh, something that you may want to uh, look more into, gain more information about. So take a minute to pair up with somebody else uh, near you. So now... So now they are pairing up and discussing uh, what they've either learned or want to uh, explore in regards to etiquette. Um, the government, I work for the VA, federal government in Long Beach, and there's a whole ethics course that we take. And some of the things that they brought up are things that we um, take a course on and uh, complete and sign that we aren't going to do. Um, we can use the email and equipment not on our own time. I would say that, um, you know, in terms of posting your resume, that's ne definitely a tool that you can use, but it should be like one of many tools in your toolbox or your repertoire. So, um, you know, the big thing is networking and and meeting people and research and those types of things. So definitely you want to post your resume because you want it available to potential employers, um, but you don't want that to be the only thing that you do because that is a very um, wait and see type of activity. Whereas there are other things that you can do in a more proactive way to market yourself. One of the things you always hear about is the use of, of the Internet in a negative way. It's how people find out bad things about you. And one of the things you can do with regard to your, your Internet profile or your online image is to do something positive. Uh, the number one thing you always want to do is control your impression. You can do it in person by how you dress, how you talk, how you act. You can do the same thing online. And part of that is if, you, if you're somebody who blogs, or you decide, hmm, maybe I should try this online blogging. If you write articulate, thoughtful essays or posts, that's a positive impression of you. If you, uh, if you make comments on people's blogs about saying, you know, I thought the points you brought up were good, or, or, but here's a problem, and you put down responses that show, hey, I have some content knowledge, I have some expertise, or, I'm, or if nothing else, I'm willing to learn. Could you explain something further? That gives a very positive impression of you. So everyone talks about um, 
uh, was it controlling your online image? The next step is what can you use to enhance it? And blogging and commenting on posts is a fabulous way to do that. And it's one that I'm not sure enough people are using as a way to supplement uh, their professional appearance. So as she indicated, supplementing your professional appearance on the web through the social media and the blogging and the posts that you do either in email lists or in other venues can really enhance your, your impression from others. So by organizing it, by communicating well, you can strengthen your professionalism. If we could have a mic, and I'd like to, to go around and see, hear from others in terms of what in the work experience, in your work experience, when are those times that you think people have communicated well? How have they presented themselves well from an interpersonal communication uh, standpoint? What works? Are you looking for examples of how people communicate well in the office? Or okay, um, if if you're inside a unit meeting, um, the best way to communicate is stay on point and don't drift. If you if you're talking about a topic, don't uh, bring other things into the uh, discussion that don't relate to the topic, and stay on task. Great. Other thoughts? We're being streamed, so we appreciate you using the microphone. Thank you. In my employment, because I deal with uh, multiple offices and I have about 85 employees, uh, the way I communicate with all of my locations is we do a daily conference call, and it's an open forum. I provide them details for the day, goals to reach, motivational information, and then at that time we're able to, together as a group, work on what our goals and focus for the day is. And that really helps me uh, with what I do because my offices have such a large distance between all of us, so many of my employees don't see each other on a daily basis. But yet you stay connected through these telephone calls. Correct. Mm -hmm. Oh, wonderful. Others that would like to respond? Uh, thoughts in terms of, so I've heard some good points here. Um, having regular communication with others, that helps to develop rapport amongst individuals. Being on task, on point. Uh, when, when you go into, how many times have you been in a meeting where you're talking about a particular topic, you have a focused amount of time, and somebody goes on a rabbit run? They're talking about something way off that has nothing to do with the topic at hand. And think about how frustrated you are with that. So being able to be concise and focused on what, how you're going to communicate with others is an important key to being seen as a good communicator. I also heard um, in the, the responses the idea that Individuals may be work, it may be interacting with uh, with folks that they may not see on a regular basis, or may be in different levels of positions within the organization. And so, you're uh, as an individual, your stakeholders, 
or those that you interact with may be a diverse group of individuals. It may be the top leadership, it may be coworkers, or it may be individuals that work within different departments within the organization that you have maybe little contact with. And in some cases, you may work in an organization that uh, faces with the public. And so you have customer service communication and interpersonal skills. It's important for us to think about how we interact with individuals uh, who are from, the, from various types of backgrounds and groups, from the organizational structure level as well as from a cultural perspective. Being able to stay professional yet adjust your communication approach and style can be very powerful within a larger organization in which you are working with a variety of, it, of individuals. So I'd encourage uh, folks to think about and uh, how you develop and strengthen your communication skills with individuals on a one-to-one, on a, in the, uh, within a team approach, and then when you're interacting with those that you may not on a regular basis. Sometimes we have situations in which we're working with a colleague or two who have strong personalities. Now, do we know people with strong personalities? <laughs> yeah. And you know, in, the, in, the, uh, in our personal lives, that might be one thing. In the work setting, that may be a completely different type of situation. And one in which we want to handle it professionally as well as be able to um, be assertive ourselves and not, uh, and be, not give in to, um, the, into a situation where we're not going to feel good about ourselves. But we also want to be sensitive to how we respond and our, interact with individuals with strong personalities. I would encourage you to think about if you're working with an individual that has a strong personality, think about it for, uh, that individual from two different perspectives. One is, how does the individual trigger you? From the emotional standpoint, how do you respond? And we all have emotional responses in every type of interaction and communication that we have with each other. It's okay to say, I, know, I recognize that when I interact with this person and they have a strong personality, they trigger me because they sound like my mom and nagging or because they sound like you know, my cousin who always thinks they, he knows the right thing. It's important to be able to distinguish that so that you understand how you're responding so that you may cha- look at changing your reaction to that situation. The second aspect to respond, perspective to responding to somebody with a strong personality is to separate out what's the content this individual is trying to share. Is it valuable content? Is it something that is important for me to know? And what can I gain or learn from this individual? Sometimes it's more difficult to do. I agree and I understand. By breaking it down, you can see, one, what are the positive attributes of the individual? 
And what are those contributions the individual may be making to that, that organization? Also, you might be able to develop some ideas of how to problem solve your, com your communication or interaction with this individual and be able to identify which aspect is it. Is it that you don't believe the person uh, has very strong content and you, you don't trust them? Is it that you res you're responding from the emotional level? Where is that coming from? And then problem solve for yourself what it is that you've, you would like to try. Do you want to try to be more assertive? Do you want to, have you tried that and that hasn't worked out effectively? And so you want to, um, you feel that you need to be able to present a case that is more objective and factual with your supervisor. It helps when you understand what's going on and how to be able to differentiate where, who it is that you want to communicate with and how you want to look at solving that problem. There are many workshops that deal with dealing with difficult people, uh, as well as uh, strengthening the communication, interpersonal communication skills. Fred Pryor seminars is one area that you may want to consider if you're ex in that experience where you're working with some folks that have strong personalities and you want to look at what can I do to um, help change this environment. You also want to work at getting others behind you. And what I mean by that is we develop um, our, culture, our, our work um, collateral. We uh, have ways that we communicate with each with other individuals. We share content. We um, produce work. We develop rapport with others. We want others to be able to say, "I believe Joe does a great job. I really like the work that Anne does." It's really helpful to be able to to. Um, strengthen those relationships and those um, credibility builders by having uh, by developing the rapport with individuals through work uh, assignments as well as as members of teams where you may interact um, with one another on a regular basis it's important also, in addition to thinking about our interpersonal skills and how we develop rapport with each other and communicate, how we receive feedback from others. I can tell you that when somebody has a strong personality provides me feedback, I really have to take a pause <laughs> and really separate out my reaction versus the content. Whereas if it's somebody else who I feel I have established you know, rapport and, and feel that they are a mentor, then I'm much more open to receiving feedback from them. So how we receive feedback is really critical in the development of our, ourselves as well as our, uh, our um, professional uh, experience or repertoire. I'd like to now play a video for you that is a YouTube video having to do with feedback. I will warn you, this is a little long. It's about 20 minutes long, but it is so rich with information and points that I think are so critical, especially when we're thinking about wanting to career advancement and movement, that it's really worth playing for 20 minutes in this session 
so that you all may have that positive experience as well. years ago, my colleagues at the Harvard Negotiation Project and I wrote a book called Difficult Conversations. And I spent the last couple of decades traveling around the world helping people and organizations with some of their most challenging conversations. Now, the first thing that we do when we work with any group is that we say, well, what are your toughest conversations? What would you like some help with? And together we make a list that we can draw from throughout the day. Now, over the years, we started to notice a pattern which is that feedback showed up on that list a lot. To put a finer point on it, <coughs> feedback was on that list 100% of the time. It didn't matter what continent we were on. It didn't matter what industry we were in. It didn't even matter why they brought us in. People and organizations all over the world struggle with feedback. Now, for the first 10 years, we did what I think everybody does, which is that we taught givers how to give more skillfully, more clearly, more often. How many of you have ever been to a session on how to give feedback? Did it help? Okay, please say yes, because I do some of that work. <laughs> but your reaction echoes my own experience, which was, it helps. I mean, there's a lot you can learn, but it wasn't solving the problem. And then one day it occurred to us, you know what? In any exchange of feedback between giver and receiver, it's the receiver who's in charge. I mean, it's the receiver who decides what they're going to let in, what sense they're going to make of it, and whether and how they choose to change. I mean, maybe we've been going about this totally backwards. Maybe the key is learning how to take in the blizzard of feedback that we come in contact with every day. Because, by the way, I'm not just talking about performance reviews and other kinds of judgment and evaluation, grades, finding out how you measure up or stack up, you know, your marriage proposal, accepted, rejected. I mean, that's the mo those kind of judgments are the most emotional kind of feedback. But I'm also just talking about everybody's suggestions for you, the little helpful parenting tips from your in-laws, right? <laughs> and I'm also talking about the look in my third grader's eyes when she spots me in the audience. And those little nitpicky criticisms from my husband which I think of less as feedback and more as just John being annoying, right? <laughs> I mean, feedback is really our relationship with the world and it's the world's relationship with us. I mean, what if we could actually see receiving feedback as a skill and we could get better at learning from feedback, taking charge of it and driving our own learning so we don't have to wait around for good givers to show up. Because I don't know about you, I have some good givers, wonderful mentors, but mostly my life is populated by everybody else, right? People who are terrible at doing it, don't have time for it, who are difficult themselves. What if we could draw learning out of even off-base, unfair, poorly delivered feedback? What would happen? Now, what's interesting is that we looked around and said, okay, what, what's out there? about why it's so hard to receive feedback and what to do about it. And really, there wasn't much. But what there was was some research suggesting that if we could get better at this, it would make a huge difference. 
There were big rewards. What the research shows is that people who go out and solicit negative feedback, and by that what they mean is they're not just fishing for compliments. They're looking for what they can improve. Those people report higher work satisfaction, they adapt more quickly in new roles, and they get higher performance reviews, which suggests that if you get better at handling everybody's feedback for you, it doesn't just change you. It changes how other people see you and experience you. Now let me ask you this. I want to invite you to think about a piece of coaching or suggestion or advice that you've received in your life that you've rejected. You didn't take it. I want to ask you, why didn't you take it? Just think about that for a moment. I mean, maybe it was just wrong. It was bad advice. Maybe you didn't trust the person giving it to you. Maybe you were actually unaware you cared about their opinion, which was unsolicited. Maybe it was confusing, or you weren't even sure how and whether you could change in that way. Maybe it was just too upsetting. Let me say right now, there are 100 people in this room. There are probably 100 reasons you didn't take the feedback. And you know what? Those are fantastic reasons to turn away feedback. Maybe. I want to say right now that getting better at receiving feedback does not obligate you to take the feedback. In fact, there are reasons why often we need boundaries. Because other people's views of us can undermine our sense of self sometimes. But the problem, actually, is that we usually decide too soon. As human beings, we are incredibly good at something that we call wrong spotting. When feedback is incoming, I'm scanning it. Because I need to figure out what's wrong with it. Who gave it to me, what they're suggesting, why they're probably giving it to me, where they gave it to me, really, at my grandmother's funeral, seriously. Because if I can find something wrong with it, well, I can set it aside, relax, and go on with my life. If it's right, I have to keep worrying about it. So we're incredibly incented to decide right away whether the feedback is right or wrong. Now, the fact that you have a triggered reaction isn't the end of the story. It's actually the beginning. Because here's the problem. You are always going to be able to find something wrong with your feedback. I promise. 90% of it might be wrong but that last 10% might be just what you need to grow. As we looked at the hundreds and, in fact, thousands of reasons and reactions that we have to feedback, we found that actually they boiled down really to three. And so there are three kinds of triggered reactions that human beings have all over the world to the feedback that they get. The first is what we call truth triggers. This has everything to do with, well, is the feedback correct? Is it accurate? Is the advice good advice? Truth triggers are tricky to figure out what's true, partly because of what we call the challenge to see. The challenge to see what in the world the giver's trying to tell you, and the challenge to see yourself accurately. Because we all have blind spots. Actually, I don't have blind spots, but I know that you guys all have blind spots, <laughs> right? I mean, this is the nature of blind spots. The second kind of trigger is what we call relationship triggers. All feedback lives in the relationship between giver and receiver. And often we have a bigger reaction to who's giving it to us than what they're saying. Conquering this trigger has to do with the challenge of we, to separate the who from the what and to deal with each on its own merits. The third kind of trigger is what we call identity triggers. 
This has everything to do with your emotional reaction to the feedback and the story you tell about what it says about who you are. What the research suggests is that individual sensitivity to feedback, by which I mean how far you swing emotionally in the wake of feedback and how long it takes you to recover, individuals can vary by up to 3,000%. Yeah. Let me say a little bit about what we've learned about this third identity trigger, and this picture captures it for me. (laughs) Many of you probably know, this is Michaela Maroney, an American gymnast. Coming into the London Olympics in 2012, she was widely regarded as the very best vaulter in the world, for good reason. She had won gold at the last five world competitions, and she had won by such a margin that there was no question among commentators, obviously, Michaela's got the gold, the only question is who's going to take the silver and who's going to take the bronze. She fell on her second vault, ending a 33-vault hitting streak. Despite this, she scored so highly she still took the silver, and this is a picture of her on the medal stand receiving the silver. Now, for those of you who are familiar with the research on Olympic athletes and medalists, gold, silver, bronze, who's happiest? Gold, hello, they won a gold, okay? It was not a trick question. But who's next happiest? Bronze, why? What's the story the silver medalist tells about what just happened? Oh, I just lost gold. What's the story the bronze medalist tells? Yes! (laughs) I meddled! Now this reminds me of two things. Number one, the story you tell about the feedback you get has a huge impact on how you feel about it. And number two, for high achievers like Michaela, I think it's when we let ourselves down. It's the judgments and feedback we have for ourselves that can often be hardest to deal with. This picture went viral and became a meme with the headline, Michaela is not impressed, suggesting she wasn't impressed with her fellow competitors. But I look at this, and I suspect she's upset with herself. Now, psychologists like Marty Seligman estimate that our reactions to events in our lives are based about 50% on genetic inherited wiring factors, just the way you're built emotionally. About 40% based on the story you tell about what happens, and only 10% based on the actual circumstances of your life. Now, who knows whether these are exactly the right numbers, but it does suggest that in that 50% and 40%, there is a lot of play to manage identity triggers more effectively. Let me say a little bit about the wiring piece. We took a look at three strands of research. The first is what I'm going to call baseline. In the literature, this is sometimes called set point. The idea here is that Each of us lives at some set point or baseline degree of happiness or contentment in our life. So individual events will knock you off your baseline in one direction or another, but you're going to gravitate back toward that baseline. Now, this is based partly on looking at lottery winners in the UK. About a year after they've won the lottery, they're about as happy or unhappy as they were before they won. Also, people with spinal cord injuries who become paraplegics, about a year, year and a half later, they're about as happy or unhappy as they were before. Now, let's imagine that the scale is 1 to 10. I mean, there are people who live their lives at 9, right? Do you know these people? Like, they're unbelievably excited, thrilled about everything in their life. It really does not matter if it's big, like, oh, we got the account, or small, like, that was an amazing cup of coffee. (laughs) They're really kind of annoying. 
they show up a lot in the resilience research, right? Because nothing can get them down. Others of us live at two or three, always just discontent, a little restless, seeing the glass half empty. Now, why does this matter for feedback? It matters because if you live at a lower set point, it affects how you take in positive feedback. It means that the volume is turned down. It doesn't give you the same emotional bounce that it gives other people. So if you're someone who says, I just don't get why people care about appreciation or positive feedback, what's the big deal? It could be because they just live at a higher baseline than you do. The other two factors are swing, how far do you get knocked off your baseline by feedback in one direction or another, and then sustain or recovery, how long does it take you to come back? And this is um, what I was talking about when I was talking about differences being up to 3,000%, even inside your own family, certainly inside your work team, where we're all giving and receiving feedback to each other, right? Now, imagine you and I are on the same team. We get some negative feedback from the client. You're devastated. I think it's not that big a deal. This leads me to tell you, like, okay, like, you need to not take it so personally. Like, you're kind of overreacting to this. You just got to get a thicker skin if you're going to be in this business. Does this help you? No. Because now, actually, I'm just giving you feedback about how you, get, how you take feedback, right? <laughs> Which is really not helping. So understanding your profile can help you understand your own reaction. So by the way, there are challenges at either end of this spectrum. If you are very sensitive to feedback, one piece of feedback can suddenly become everything and now can become forever. The feedback becomes supersized. And you can fall into what we call the Google bias. The Google bias is as if you are Googling everything that is wrong with me. And by the way, you get 1.2 million hits. All of your past mistakes, all of your failed relationships come rushing to the fore. There are sponsored ads here from your father and your ex, <laughs> right? And it seems that nothing you have ever done has been right. Then we call this the bias because your search results are, are driven by your search terms. You're not Googling things I'm handling relatively well. If you were, you'd get 8 million hits and you'd start to have a more balanced picture. In the depths of the Google bias, you cannot learn. You're just too overwhelmed. And you've got to not hide under the covers and hope the feedback goes away, but dismantle those distortions so that you can see the feedback at actual size and learn from it. Now, by the way, being insensitive to feedback, or perhaps I should say undersensitive, although if you're undersensitive, you don't really care what I call you, so it doesn't really matter, <laughs> um, has its own challenges. I mean, one thing that happens is that you don't even realize people are trying to give you feedback, right? They say, you know, Bill does it this way. And you're like, good for Bill. <laughs> the other thing that can happen is even when you get it, like you understand, okay, this is something you want me to work on. I think I agree with it. I'm totally going to work on that. It may not stick in memory because memory is highly correlated with emotion. And if you don't have an emotional reaction to the conversation, you have the best intentions in the world, but a week later, you've forgotten about it. Six months later, they say, you know, we talked about this. You're like, oh, right, we did, didn't we? Sorry. The third thing that can happen if you are undersensitive is that you can be too quickly dismissive of feedback, and there's kind of an interesting pattern in how we do this. People give you feedback that you're aloof or overbearing or intimidating, you think, well, that's just not true. Because I know what's true is I'm just shy. 
or outgoing, or I have high standards. Both of these things, by the way, can be true. We're describing ourselves as we know ourselves from the inside, based on our good intentions. But well-intentioned people have bad impacts on others all the time. And this is still a problem that we probably need to address if you're a leader or a spouse, particularly one who would rather not become an ex-spouse. So I'm going to give you a tool that you can use that will help you lower the stakes identity-wise. Please do not leave here and go out and say to your friends and colleagues, so do you have any feedback for me? Sheila said I'm supposed to ask you. Okay, that is a terrible question. If you are asked that question, you're thinking, uh, feedback about what? About your personality, your parenting, your pants? I don't know what I'm supposed to talk about. (laughs) And like, how honest exactly am I supposed to be? Instead, ask a different question. Ask for one thing. Ask what's one thing I'm doing, or maybe that I'm failing to do, that you think is getting in the way. What's one thing I could change about how I run our weekly meeting that you think would be an improvement? What's one thing I could change that would make a, mad, make a difference to you in our friendship? Notice I'm not asking, is there anything? You're assuming there's one thing. Because by the way, if you don't know what you need to be working on as a leader or a parent, you know who knows? Everybody else. Okay, They have a list. It's a secret list of all the things you do that drive them crazy, that make it harder for them to do their job or be your child. So when you ask them this, they're going to have an answer like that. They have been carrying it around with them. And by the way, a couple days later, they're going to come back with a second thing that they actually thought of that they wish they would have said. So you might get one thing or two things. But you'll get something specific. And you get something that's worth considering and at least discussing. Look, none of this is easy. Because whatever your triggered reaction is to the feedback you get, there's a truth at the core of this that we can't get around which is that feedback really sits at the junction of two core human needs. On the one hand, we do want to learn and grow. I mean, this is why people take up new hobbies in retirement. It is the only thing that really explains the relationship between human beings and the game of golf, right? Because that occasional good round fools us into thinking that we're getting better. So feedback should be exhilarating. But the problem is we bump into this second thing, which is the need to be accepted and respected and loved the way we are now. And the very fact of feedback suggests that how we are now is maybe not A-OK. That the people around you, closest to you, want a few more upgrades to who you are. And yet, while this helps me explain my conflicted relationship with feedback, that sometimes it's exhilarating. It's a great source of joy. It's also some of the most painful things in our lives. And yet, how many of you would say that some of the most important things you've learned in life have come from some of your most painful experiences? So what's up with that? Why can't we have a pain-free human learning system? (laughs) There's part of me that wishes I could offer you that. But in the meantime, this work for me is about learning to understand and manage the pain to enrich our relationships, and to get to the learning faster. Thank you. I found this video to be a very 
enlightening one and to really encapsulate one of the key areas as um, this presenter spoke about is the idea of, of leadership and parenting that pr being able to receive the feedback and not only receive it but then to grow from it and make some improvements can be a real key to the advancement in your uh, your career as well as personally I'd like to hear from each of you now with the mic going around what is one takeaway from this video that you had I would take away the idea that don't overreact and just listen to what the other person is saying. Mm -hmm. Great. Let's pass it along. Okay. Anyone else who would like to share a thought? No. Okay. I'd like for you to think about what is one person that you can ask for feedback from in the next week. And as the presenter said, don't go back and just say, what feedback do you have for me? Instead, ask a specific question and be sincere about what area is it that you'd like to receive some suggestion for improvement. It can be either at work or you could, t you could do it in your personal life as well. This has to, receiving the feedback can be very valuable as you develop within an organization as well. We have a lot of cultural norms in organizations, some being uh, spoken, others being uh, more subtle or coverted, and then nonverbal norms. It's important to have an understanding of those norms. We have it in every organization here in CCB, in our work environments, in our home environments. It's important for us to be aware of what those cultural norms are so that we understand how we can interact with them as well as in what we can learn and gain from them. And in the work setting, I'd encourage you as you develop your rapport and relationships with another, other individuals to be able to identify maybe one or two individuals that you work with that are in different meetings with you that after a meeting you can go aside with them and say, now there seemed to be something interesting going on when X was being talked about. Give me an idea of what the nonverbals were going around the room. Oftentimes, there's a lot of nonverbal communication that takes place, as we know, uh, as individuals who are blind and low vision, that we may not be clued into. But it's important for us to have an understanding uh, from, other, from maybe one or two key other individuals so that we can develop a better understanding about what is going on with, within the organization. I'd also like to share with you an example of how I, uh, I was in an organization and there was an individual several years ago that was seeking to interest in an advancement in a position, wasn't selected for that advanced position. It was felt that there wasn't the right fit for that person. She went to another organization and three years later, she's now had been able to advance. So. She, it's her skills, who she is, didn't change. It was the, the fit with the organization that she's in 
did. She made a change, and that change actually really benefited her. And she was able to develop um, and grow within the new organization. So sometimes taking that risk and taking that chance for the new opportunity is important in terms of being able to um, respond to experiences that we have within a work environment. I want for us to take a five-minute break because I know it's been a while, and then we'll come back and continue. So there's going to be a five-minute break for the uh, participants to get up and move around. I need to thaw out, so I'm going to continue moving in my seat to warm up in this iceberg. Um, there are a lot of good points brought up. Um, a lot of us in the working environment have to um, we'll come back deal at, with uh, criticism and questioning and okay. responding to what oh, others I'm say sorry. to us. Uh, we'll come back at 3.15. Let's make it a short break. And that was the uh, 3.15 is when they're returning. So if you need to go take a break, that would be the time to do it. And many of us um, in the work environment have um, supervisors and people above them, and even our coworkers who will make comments that we may trigger incorrectly or trigger and um, may say or respond in a critical way that could potentially harm our current position instead of improve our current position. Um, it's difficult being partial or low or no vision. Sometimes we don't see the nonverbal cues that are going along with these comments or questions or criticism. And um, that could be detrimental in our response. So we need to learn to listen to intonations and other um, cues that could potentially provide us with information about the intent of the of the um, person who is giving us that information. Welcome back, Louie. Mike A does not respond. No. I'm, and I'm cranked up to max, almost. No, it's not coming, it's not overdriven. If I don't, if I go too low, then um, people don't hear me. I'm on mic B. I'm using B because A doesn't come in. Folks, we're having some technical... Uh, I'm using B. I'm using B. And I'm oh, cranked up. Mr. Herrera was running the videos for this presentation, and um, he wasn't here for to assist in some of the. I hear nothing from you. I'm turning you up. Try again. Well, let's see. Do they like me around here? No. Nothing. And you'll see where I have me. I have my almost max. 
So, folks, I hope you're enjoying um, Career Development 101, um, how to interact with your coworkers, your supervisors, your peers, how to improve what you, how you interact with others. And now it's getting lower. Yeah. So, um, Louie, you want to talk a little bit? Um, I'm going to give you the mic. I need to stand up and move. I'm a nice cube. Well, let's hope that uh, people get something out of this because it's a, it's a kind of seminar that can help a lot of people. I wish that something like this was available when I was starting up in uh, my job career, but I've been very fortunate that I was around people who were very helpful and gave lots of feedback, so... It's uh, it's it's good. Hopefully, CCB will get good feedback on this type of a seminar and may become something that'll be um, offered at future conventions as we go through a transition to a new uh, leadership and uh, we start looking at other projects and programs that we may be involved with and organize for future conventions since there is going to be a structuring, restructuring of how the conventions are held, so who knows? The tracks are something that are specific, focused, and sometimes we need something like that. So, let's hope for the best. What do you think about that, Stephanie? Um... I think there's a lot of good information being provided. I think uh, there might be a little overload, (laughs) but it's all good information. So I suppose if we take away even uh, we're going to be coming back together in a minute, that can always give us improvement. Well, I'm sure there'll be other projects and other things that will be taken. We have... um, they got two more minutes and break. slide out so you can slide in yeah I understand but I have to be real close to the mic too (laughs) I don't know why our mics are such so low Mm -hmm. so perhaps you out there in the listening audience can also send your feedback if the presenter gives us a uh, 
contact email or such that will allow us to um, give feedback responses to any of the streaming stuff you've heard. Um, once again, we apologize for any inconvenience in any of the issues we've been having with streaming. We're doing the best we can. Um, today, we had to move around from where we were. The um, Okay, I think we're going to get back together. It uh, looks like we're restoring, returning back to the presentation. Okay. The next part of growth is O for opportunities. What are opportunities at work? This means you've been asked if you'd like to do a new assignment. You've been asked if you want to be part of a committee. Or there is a position coming up and you think you might be good for that position. Or someone mentions to you, you know, you'd be really good for this position. Whatever those opportunities are, take them seriously. Just take them seriously. And, and this could be difficult, um, you know, because you go through that thing in your head, am I good enough, do I have the skills, uh, and, and so forth. And you do need to be honest with yourself about that. That is true. Um, but challenge yourself. Challenge yourself. Uh, for example, in recently at work, I was asked to do a presentation for a group that had leaders on it way above my head. So that was really frightening for me. Um, you know, I just didn't know, I didn't know the culture as well of the leadership in the organization. So it was pretty frightening. I teamed up with someone to do a presentation uh, and I did wind up doing it. And then I was invited to join the committee. So that was, out of that opportunity that was frightening for me, I actually was able to uh, join something new and get a little more known in the organization. So take the opportunities. Um, okay. Um, I'm sorry. If you're changing jobs or moving laterally, uh, oops, sorry, or moving into a different field, for example, you may need to accept that you're not going to get the same pay. So let's say I, I decided I'm going into a new career. I can't really start at where I left off in my last career. Or even when I change companies, sometimes it's not that easy to start at the same level. Sometimes you just need to accept um, either a lower pay or a lower position just so you can move up. Um, and I had this experience a while ago where I took a job in a big company just to get my name in and to put this company on my resume. Once I did that, I had no trouble getting jobs after that. It does make a difference. Anything you can use to build up your resume, whether it's joining committees, taking on new projects, um, or you know, even doing uh, maybe some volunteer work, take the opportunity. 
Okay, also big companies always have openings, so you can look online uh, to find something that suits you or something you want to work towards. So thinking about the opportunities that you have that are available to you, whether they're, um, they've come in the past or they'll be coming in the future, it's important to really, as Veda said, to consider them and to, if you, when you can, accept them. Oftentimes what happens in kind of the higher-ups will say, you know, I think Julie seems to really be a good person, doing really good work. Let's invite Julie to chair this committee or to take on this project. And as an employee, Julie may feel like, oh, additional work. I feel like I already have a lot to do. What she's not realizing is that this is a subtle test and I use those, that word in quotation marks, test, to see how she responds, what she produces from this opportunity that could, in the future, lead to some other amazing opportunities for her as well. So it's important for you to think about those, uh, those considerations when given the chance and to recognize that when you start off, you're not going to be able to start at the top. You're going to have to work your way up, and you're going to have to take on some additional uh, uh, projects or um, show that you're interested and the level of commitment you have before something might be offered to you. Wisdom is our word for W in growth. Wisdom has to do with identifying those mentors in your life. We can have multiple mentors. A mentor can be an individual that will help God provide guidance to you. It could be in regards to leadership or career development. A mentor could be someone who you feel runs, uh, facilitates an effective meeting, and you want to develop those leadership skills in running a meeting. A mentor could also be an individual who has great speaking skills and presentation skills, and you want to be able to uh, conduct a co-present co with that person. All of these types of experiences can enrich your life with a mentor. Oftentimes, we have mentors, but we don't identify them and say that they're a mentor. It may be somebody that you seek out advice from on a regular basis. It may be an individual that is um, higher up in the organization that you would like to get to know better and find out what are some of those things that ideas that may help you grow. I'd encourage you to identify who two or three people that you'd like to consider as a mentor, informally or formally, and then to invite the person to lunch and say, I'd like to talk with you and to learn more about what you do and what, how you think that I might be able to advance. Or I'd like to meet with you and talk about how you, how you go about planning to facilitate a meeting because I think you do a great job facilitating. Oftentimes, people who ha are in higher positions have had mentors themselves and are very open to receiving that feedback. T is for talents. And it's important for us to be able to identify our 
strengths. So what are we good at? What is it that we feel that we've accomplished? So I'd like for you to take a minute and just self-reflect on what you feel proud about having accomplished for yourself. I'm sure we all have something we feel we're good at and we're talented at and can contribute to the workplace, to CCB, so and to other. So now that you've thought about the area that you've accomplished, now think about what those skills or resources or strengths that you had for yourself that enabled you to be uh, able to accomplish that, uh, that event or activity that you felt uh, proud about. And to write down what are those strengths that you have in which you demonstrated for yourself to, make, to accomplish that goal. Okay. Another way to identify your strengths is to ask other people, what are my strengths? Get multiple perspectives from people. And then keep a good attitude. Be flexible. Say, yes, I can. Do your forward thinking. All of this is... Are, are strengths that you can build on. Um, I, I remember uh, last night someone came to me and said, I'm not sure how I got chosen for that position. Well, clearly this person showed their strengths enough to others that they felt that um, this person could do the job. But, but the person didn't actually know what those strengths were. So it's good to get perspectives from others and learn what your strengths are. And be open to um, experiencing change, right? That's always the one thing that we're so uncomfortable with is change. But it's so important. We're going to move on to talk about disclosing disabilities. This is always a tough one for people. When do I disclose? Do I disclose at all? Um, or what, you know, what would be appropriate? And in my experience, um, what I have chosen to do, and, and we're going to show a video about people's different experiences, I actually say it in a conversation such as, um, I have an interview set up, and then I'll say, hmm, can you tell me what street I need to cross, and is there um, a landmark, by the way, that would assist me in finding the building as I am visually impaired? So I include it in the conversation, but after I have the interview. At that point, if they say to you, oh, no, we don't want you here, you have a disability, then that would be a big problem. Okay, we're going to show a video. Uh, you ready, Louis? Okay.
to start the video. 16.8.09 p.m. 64 point quick look window preview image. You are currently on an image. People with physical disabilities such as myself, we do have it a little bit easier. When when I walk into a room, you're you're gonna be able to see the crutches and know something's going on with me. In general, I do not disclose my disability until the actual interview. And I think because they see it, you know, not everyone is used to interacting with people with physical disabilities. So I find it useful to make a joke because in some respects, especially if you're an individual who's not used to interacting with people with physical disabilities, you automatically worry, you know, am I going to say something wrong? So to me, if you can kind of make a joke about it, like, oh, I'm sure you heard me coming or something like that, you know, just let them know that it's it's okay, you know, you're aware you have a disability, you know they can see it, and it kind of will will lighten the mood. And it, you know, I find that to be the most beneficial thing in disclosing your disability. Disclosure, to me, is a really personal decision, and um, the, the point at which you choose to disclose disability is really um, entirely up to you, and I think at least in my own experience, you know, it varies from person to person. So, for instance, I'm a person uh, with cerebral palsy, so I use, uh, depending on the situation I'm in, I use a cane or I use uh, a motorized scooter to get from place to place. So I don't really have the luxury of, of hiding it or not talking about it. Uh, in addition, I'm a person that... Uh, enjoys talking about it. I take pride in my disability, so I have no issues discussing it. You know, but again, that's something that is that is a, a personal decision that you make, um, you know, at the point that you feel it's necessary. Um, I always think it's advisable to disclose it at a point before it's causing you an issue. So before you feel like you're going to need the accommodation rather than waiting and operating without it and then deciding to disclose in terms of accommodation. I think disclosing a hidden disability in a job interview is up to the individual. Um, in many cases, it's not necessary. It is something that can be addressed after the fact, after a job offer, um, and only in the context of requesting accommodations. But if they think that it might help them in some way to um, to make them stand out among candidates, like let's say they hold a leadership position in an organization that's uh, related to their disability, that might be a benefit. And it, that is a disclosure, but in, in many cases that can be a positive thing in an interview. When is the best time to make an accommodations request? There's a couple of different thoughts around that. The main thing that we want to remember is that because of the Americans with Disabilities Act and the Rehab Act, you were never required to disclose your disability. You determine when you wish to disclose and how you wish to disclose. Now, some people will say that the best time to make a rec accommodations request will be after you've been offered the internship. That's the opportunity where you get to say, okay, in order to do my job to the best of 
my ability and to fulfill all the uh, the requirements to their efficacy. I need these things in order to do the, the job. Uh, I think right after the interview is always an excellent time once you've had that offer to say this is what I need in order to do the work. However, you can make a recommendations request at almost any time. I'll say that the time to not make an accommodations request would be after you've had too many problems managing your own disability. To show that you are a proactive uh, member of the agency, to show that you want to be a good worker, you want to say, okay, I know what I need to work, and to be able to be upfront with your boss about that. Great. Are there any thoughts or questions regarding di uh, disclosing your disability? May we bring hold the on, microphone to you, please? So, um, should you disclose your disability after the interview? If you would like, if you'd like to, you could disclose your disability at the interview, um, in the interview process as you're meeting or you could even wait until after the job has been offered and then say, um, as you might be aware, in the interview process, uh, I was not able to see that well. The accommodations that I use as an individual who doesn't see that well is a screen reader program for the computer. And so you, you do not need to bring it up in the interview process when you're uh, having the interview conducted. Yep. Did that answer your question? Yes. Okay. Great. Um, the thing I want to say is, <clears throat> as being blind, it, it really is difficult to decide when you want to disclose. Uh, going through the interview process, there are times where you come to an interview and then all of a sudden they hand you a print list of questions. Um, if you don't ask for accommodation prior to that, um, you know, you're going to have a problem. Um, so you need to be prepared for such, uh, such things. Um, another thing is uh, I've heard of others who did not disclose their uh, blindness to an interviewer, and when they walk in, the interviewer was basically angry because they were not told. And this can be, lead to uh, a very negative uh, outcome. Thank you. What I'd like to say about that is uh, Many interviews, on many interviews now, there's usually a panel of people. It's not usually one person anymore that asks you all the questions. And uh, many times they do have questions that they ask everyone who is being interviewed. And what I have learned uh, to do in the past is just ask right up front, is there a set of questions that you will be asking me? And if they say yes, I ask if they could please email the questions to me ahead of time. Um, if they ask me why, then I will say because I'm visually impaired and it would be easier for me to have an email as I wouldn't be able to read the print. Um, 
and what has happened um, is that I I actually uh, what ha- what I guess has happened several times is that they don't want to send you the questions ahead of time because it's not really fair if everyone else is getting it five minutes beforehand and you're getting it two days beforehand you have a lot of time to prepare um, so have a means bring a computer with you bring a cell phone with you where you can read your email and ask if you could please have it 15 minutes ahead of time get there get the email sent to your phone or your computer and read the questions while you were there and to make sure you have something to take notes so you can write down your thoughts as you're reading the questions. And we're going to address our last topic, which has to do with helping and honor um, under H for growth. This is a really interesting area as well. In the work setting, I find that I work in an environment that's very relational-based. And what I mean by that is it's, it's who you know versus uh, what you know that really oftentimes allows you to be able to get things done within the system. Being able to respond to somebody's inquiry. Kathy, can you assist me with X? Sure, I'd be happy to means that I'm building that uh, opportunity to then turn around at another time and say to that person, would you be able to assist me with why? And oftentimes I find that by being friendly, by being receptive and open to working with an individual who approaches me, that the next time around that I need some assistance, they're happy to work with me as well. I also believe that it's important to recognize the accomplishments of others. And so when somebody receives recognition for an outstanding project or an award or a promotion, I will send them an email message and say, congratulations, I saw that you've just received a new position. I wish you the best and I look forward to working with you. It's important in that I'm, develop, I'm continuing to nurture that relationship and, re, and rapport with others so that if in the future I need to have that connection with them for another activity or event, we already have a basis to, to begin our dialogue and to work together, which is a real benefit and asset within an organization. So what I'd like for you to do is to think about an individual, whether it's in your work environment, within a community organization, that you're involved, some organization that you're involved with that has accomplished something recently, has made a contribution uh, to a project, has completed a project, has um, received recognition for uh, being elected to a new position, or something that recognize one person and to identify who you will email within one week to express your congratulations to that person to begin that process. So at this time, we have been through growth. Goals, being realistic, opportunities, wisdom, talents, and helping honoring others. Hopefully this is helping you develop an idea and a sense of what your personal and professional action plan can be to be able to move forward and develop your skills.
we also will be uh, wanting to provide you some resources. And so if you email me your, uh, your email information, then I will be happy to send you a resource list that we have developed as a result of preparing for this workshop. My email address is C-L-S-W-H, as in Harry, I, T as in Tom, A, K, E, R, at gmail.com. Once again, that's C-L-S-W-H-I-T-A-K-E-R at gmail.com. And we'll be happy to send you that resource list as well. At this time, because of t- due to time, we're going to be moving into our panel. And our panel is comprised of myself, Vita Zavoli, and Louis Herrera. We're going to be sharing with you three key areas that we think are important when we look at hiring other individuals in the work setting. So we're going to take a moment so that um, Louis can join us. The panelists are gathering at the front. Um, basically, Mr. Herrera is moving from the projector and computer to the front. Uh, let's see what they have to say about hiring others. Who would, who would like to be the first speaker? Who would like to be the first uh, speaker to uh, share the three key points of that are important when looking at uh, hiring other individuals or considering them for promotion. So I guess I'm elected to go first. <laughs> Since I have the microphone. <laughs> so I think there, are, for me, in the environment that I'm in, it's very important that we have individuals that uh, have the right type of attitude. And what we're talking, what I'm going to talk about are the soft skills. So soft skills are those things that have to do with attitude, individual characteristics, personality, um, things that are more difficult to learn, develop, uh, grow, and, and have to do with growth of an individual. Hard skills are those content expertise types of care of uh, attributes that an individual brings to the position. So I might be a great uh, biologist, but if I don't have the people skills, I might have difficulty with um, fulfilling my full job responsibilities as a biologist in a hospital laboratory. So within, my, within the higher education setting, I believe that it's really important for an individual to have the, the right mindset to be open to a dynamic work environment. Everything is evolving now. There's, uh, that we're changing with technology, the trends are changing, students are changing. We need to be able to respond and adapt and be flexible on a regular basis. It's no longer an exception that we have a change and be in transition, it's now becoming the norm. So we need individuals that understand that and that have the ability to do that. Also, I, look, I value personally individuals that can learn 
and can take initiative. And I find that it's really important um, within the organizations I work in that an individual is willing to learn um, new skills, new, new ideas, what are new innovations, what are new trends, and be able to take the initiative to develop those skills and knowledge base. And the third area is an individual that is able to be a team player. And that means to be a, a leader within the team and also a follower on the team. One of the best ways to become a really good follower is by taking on a leadership opportunity because then you really see what it means and what characteristics are, need, are really respected as a follower uh, uh, or a team member as well. So I think the, those are the three areas that are really critical to individuals' growth. I can tell you that I've interviewed people for positions, and they really don't have the, 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 quali- the skills, the skill set for the position. There's somebody else that has a better skill set. But I'd say, gosh, I wish I could find a position for this person because they have all the right characteristics and qualities. And, often, and sometimes I'm able to refer that person, that person's uh, resume to another individual who might be able to uh, have them fill a position that's available. So when you're applying for a position, think about it from the standpoint that, and going through the interview process, that you're not only applying for the position that you're um, first identified, but you might be being considered for something else along the way as well. I'm going to turn it over to Louie now, since he's sitting in the middle, to speak. Wow, how can you top that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, well, in my previous employment, I had to do a lot of uh, personnel restructuring. And when you are in a service position, like I was, both network and desktop support primarily in the technology field. My customers were my coworkers. And when we sent somebody out, the most important thing for me was communication. Can they listen? Can they hear? Can they communicate a problem, a solution? Is the person willing to sit and pay attention to what is being said and validate that there was an understanding. It's very important for an effective employee to possess when you're dealing with various customers. If you're working with machinery, it doesn't matter. But when you're working with other people and their productivity will depend on your ability to take care of their needs. And if you don't understand what their needs are because they're talking and you're not listening, then we have a problem. Another area that's very important, and now that I work for a utility company, there's many things that I consider when deciding who is going to handle a certain responsibility or who would be the right person for a specific job. Um, Of course, I've already spoken about communication, knowledge of the subject matter, do your homework, understand what is going on before you tell me that you are familiar with the product. It is more more advantageous if you say, I do not know, but I can learn. 
a person that comes in and tells me that they know it already, and then I find out that that person went out to do a job and it didn't work out, now we have to reinvent the wheel. And um, it doesn't look good because when another opportunity comes, that person may or may not have a second chance. It depends on the severity of the issue. So it is important to become informed of what it is that you want to do, how you want to go about doing it. Because now, if I am going to be making a decision on people, uh, on staffing, I will consider what this person has demonstrated. How much are they willing to go out and learn about a new position they want to uh, take on? And if there is a great deal of knowledge and drive to go out and learn and become familiar with the new responsibilities, hey, that person is a winner for me, and I'm willing to do that. The third thing that I always, always look at is appearance and you know demeanor. How do you conduct yourself with people? How do you conduct yourself with me? I am your customer. I want to know if I'm going to be sending you out. Are you going to be able to scare the people away? Are you going to be able to win them over and work with them? Is it going to be a language barrier? Is it going to be a um, clothing apparel, how you're dressed? It's important that the person is presentable. You don't have to wear a shirt and tie. That's what I get paid for. But when you are out there and you're going to get, you know, in a situation where you have to be uh, in the trenches, so to speak, uh, it is important that you consider, you know, that we're looking at you and they're looking at you. And if you look like you just got up this morning and forgot to iron your clothing, I mean, we're not going to be rating you on that, but somebody else will. And appearance is important. And so those are the key things that I look at in addition to what Kathy just went over, because it is important to have all these skills and be ready. We all have opportunities. I had to prove to my management, and just very quickly, earlier when the question was asked, when do you disclose your disability. Sometimes you can do it right on the spot and they'll know it if you're blind. The next question it becomes, how do I know? Or what happened to me was a case of, how would my boss know if I can do the job? And I had a ton of questions related to what if, how could you? What I did is I said, why don't you give me an opportunity to do the job, and if I can't do it, I'll leave and you'll never hear from me again. That in and of itself released, relieved their concern and opened an opportunity to me. That doesn't mean you're going to have the same opportunity as uh, everybody else. The reason why I mentioned this, this uh, particular incident is because one of the things that I later on found out that really uh, made, it, made me... Uh, good candidate, other than knowing the subject and um, being able to, you know, address the issue, it was very important that I wore a professional attire to the interview, whereas some of the people that were there to compete for the same job 
as the secretary later on told me, they looked like they were they came into work at some salvage place. So <laughs> it didn't quite make it. So dress and appearance is important. Okay, I'll turn it over to uh, Vida here. Well, besides all of the things that were already mentioned, it's hard to be the last one to come up with the items. Um, I look for preparedness. Are you prepared? Did you come with questions? Did you look at the website and research the company so you knew um, what we do and how we do it? Um, did you do you did you come with questions that tell me that indicate to me that you really care about being here and being part of the company so preparedness is is so important did you come with something to take notes um all of these things the next thing i would talk about is character and this is kind of hard uh to judge, it's, it, it, and it is a judgment call, I will say that. Um, but I, I look for character. Are you nervous when you speak? Um, do, can you answer questions uh, quickly and effectively? Uh, do, do you pause? Do you say, um, 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 um and go on? You know, there's, there's, Present, I guess it's all part of presentation, I would say. It's all part of presentation. But your character really matters, and it needs to show in an interview. Are you, exci- are you an excited person? You're excited about the job. Uh, are you excited, but you're also a little scared because it's something new to you? All right, these important, important for the, for, for the supervisor to understand these things. And the third thing, which I find really difficult to explain, is honesty. Honesty is something I really look for. Now, that isn't something that's easily measurable in an interview, um, but with some good um, listening and types of questions that you ask, you can get a fairly good feel of the person's ability to be honest and think through things. Um, it, yeah, that's, it's kind of a hard one to measure, but it is definitely something I look for. Can you be direct? Am I going to be able to have feedback with you where you will listen and you will respond um, in, in, in an honest fashion? Because I want to be able to communicate with someone I want to be able to give you appropriate feedback and have you also say, oh, that was good feedback, and let me explain to you what I have done toward that effort so far. So now I have someone who is willing to work with me, and I find that really important. Thanks. Another aspect for to consider, especially if you're currently employed, as I said earlier, being employed is the best place to be when looking for new employment. And it's also important to 
consider how you're going to speak about your current employment situation. You might be in a position that you love the organization, you, you know, you're really happy with what you've done, you can speak very positively in regards to it, and yet you're still looking for uh, personal growth and professional growth, and that's the reason you're seeking new employment. Perfectly appropriate. If you're in a situation where you're not as happy within the, your current position or organization, you don't necessarily want to share that in the interview process and as you're going through and networking as well. You want to speak to what is you know, working within the organization, that the organization it, you know, ha- it makes a good product and service, and you're looking to grow, grow beyond the organization, and that's why you're seeking new employment. Um, you want to give that careful consideration in terms of how you're going to phrase um, the reason why you're leaving employment. I've seen some really um, interesting responses in, you know, in terms of why people want to leave and heard some very interesting uh, information. But I also think in the back of my mind, if they're, ta- if they're not talking positively, if they're putting down people and organizations, what will they do when they come to my company and in my organization? And that's a risk. And that, that is a barrier to then being able to be hired into a new position. So give, you know, and receive, speak with somebody else and receive feedback in terms of how you're going to describe your current situation and your seeking new employment to hear how others are going to be perceiving what you want to say. So you want to be honest, as Vita was saying, but you also want to be respectful of your current employment situation and those individuals that you're working with currently. We're, um, we have a few minutes for some questions. If there's any questions from our folks in the audience. Okay. We'll want to bring a mic. Okay, thank you. Okay. I've had some experience with some organizations where I have not had um, pleasant experiences. Um, and so when I, an employer asks me, tell me the reason for leaving, how can I phrase it to them and be honest? Well, I'll begin the answer, and then if uh, Louis or Vita want to uh, jump in, you can. I would really look at what do you think is a positive about, your cur- about that experience? And then to, I think it's okay to say, and, I, and what I realized from my experience at X company is that it wasn't a good fit for us. And what I'm looking for is, you know, is ABC. And I believe that, that, that your company that I'm interviewing for right now has the qualities from the research I've done, you have these qualities, and I believe that we could be a good fit. Would you even be like Sure. Well, both in aerospace 
and the gas company. One of the nice things is that I can move from department to department, but the cruel thing is I need to apply and take an assessment test for each thing. And there's always that interview process. Why are you leaving here? What is it about our group? What is it about our company? Those questions have come across my interview on many occasions. When I switched companies um, many, many years ago, I was asked, why are you going to another employer? My answer was very straightforward. While I'm enjoying success here, I see an opportunity to continue to enrich my skills and ability and move on to a new environment. I am not bored here. I think you have a lot to offer, but I feel that it is time for me to explore other avenues. So I, that's how I address that. In terms of my current employer, they encouraged me to move around for many reasons. One of them, of course, is that being in a unique situation that I'm in, um, it's also an education enrichment for a corporation that has to deal with persons with disabilities but never has had the, uh, never known how or has really taken the time to understand. So by me moving around to work in other departments and or lead other departments, I am creating an all-inclusive environment and the director that I spoke with previously for my previous position as I was leaving, his comment was, we lose a good employee, but you're still with the company, and it's just going to make other departments stronger than what they were. So I felt good about that. So you just you listen, and the worst thing I can tell you is this. When you badmouth something, the word gets out, and that's not always good. So consider who you're talking to and what, what word, language you use. I think Kathy probably mentioned it before about gossip. We don't want gossip. Very important. I think for the most part, I would say I'm looking to develop my skills. As Louis has said, even if you're leaving um, an organization or a company or a department for a negative reason, there's usually a positive side to why you're leaving you want something different to occur. You want something different for you. So focus on what is positive for your growth, for you, and use those elements to explain why you're moving forward. We're right about at four o'clock. Is there any one last final question? Okay, if not, then in conclusion, I hope that we hope that you have at, identified at least one or two things that you can take away from today that you're interested in applying in your life in the future. It's important for you to take action and to take responsibility for your own personal and professional growth. We hope we provided the skills 
and the tools for you to be able to do that today and to be able to reach out um, to learn more about other organizations, other ideas, other attributes that will be consistent with who you are and your careers, your career direction as well. As I said before, we'll be happy to send you a handout with the videos as well as a couple of other resources that if you send me an email message at C-L-S-W-H-I-T-A-K-E-R at gmail.com. We also would like to receive and hear uh, so any feedback from you all in regards to how you felt this uh, seminar was in terms of um, meeting your needs, in terms of your growth and development, um, having kind of being in a position and seeking that next level position as well. In conclusion, we appreciate your um, attendance today and participation. We hope that you gained from this experience and that you will take it to heart and that you will be able to grow uh, and develop yourself as um, an advance your, for your future. Thank you. Well, that concludes, that concludes our presentation of track three, growth in, in careers. As um, she gave her contact information, that will give you the opportunity to request the information that she has provided, including the videos. Um, there was a lot of good information in a very short time, but it will help uh, many of us to move forward in our careers and to move up the ladder, so to speak, to improve ourselves and provide um, the opportunity to grow and become leaders and examples to others. And um, this concludes this third track session. Tonight at 6 o'clock we have a no-host bar out in our foyer and uh, at 7 p.m. the banquet will be held. Our um, banquet also includes a singer whom we've spoken for ab about before. I don't have my agenda with me. I don't remember her name, but she um, worked with the Mothers and the Papas in uh, the late 80s, and she's also sung with other um, well-known artists as background singers. That is part of our entertainment at the banquet. Our... Um, um, Host for the banquet, uh, Ken Metz will be hosting, uh, key, you know, master of ceremonies. He will be master of ceremonies for tonight, and so we'll have to see what surprises come up tonight. Um, our banquet seven to ten, and then Sunday we'll have the remainder of our business meetings starting at eight thirty a.m. And um, I'm sure there will be the regular stuff plus the uh, special item that was added last night. 
So, with that, oh, here comes Mr. Herrera. Uh, let's see if Mr. Herrera has any final thoughts before we um, shut down. Mr. Herrera, do you have any final thoughts on this presentation? today well i'm so sorry i just bumped the mic um um well it's uh this this workshop was great it's uh amazing how this type of uh type of information is so so important and yet readily available i hope that this trend changes so that more people can take advantage of things like this. So, you know, it's it's going to be good if people think in terms of that. We, we can prepare a lot of people to become better prepared to enter the workforce. And some of us who have been in the job market as employees ease or in management of one time or another can help to make a difference and can mentor others who want to move up in their current jobs or prepare those that want to get back into the workforce. So it's a plus plus win-win situation. Yes, I was making note before you came up that this gives uh, many of us the opportunity is to learn and grow from our mistakes and the um, many of the things that they brought up um, in their growth um, uh, concept it was, will provide us with uh, things to look at when we're trying to move up the ladder so that we don't make those mistakes and that we can move up, learn and grow and become leaders that can then turn in turn help others become uh, employed uh, individuals. You got it. Well, yeah, of course. And the intent is to get people back to work or to work. That's a cool thing. Anyway, Steffi, guess what? We are at the end of a, of this nice track, and we will be back here around seven or shortly before then for our CCB convention banquet. And um, I get the privilege of sitting in, sitting behind a mixer and broadcast equipment as people enjoy a good meal. So uh, we will have the um, singer as our entertainer and our master of ceremonies, Ken Metz. So the evening should always be interesting. We talked a little bit about the singer. Yes. Before. Of course. On that note, we will say. Uh, farewell, and we'll see you in a few hours. So have a good one, and talk to you soon.